that approached me, and he said, he said, hey, can I get some gas money? I'm, I'm on my way. He was heading towards Miami, and it was pr- that's probably like a three-hour drive. He's like, I need some gas money. Can you help me out? And I'm like, yeah, pull up to the pump. So I, he pulls up to the pump, and I fill up his vehicle. And I'm like, man, you're going to need some more money, you know. You're not going to be able to make it there and back. And I said, so I ran inside to the ATM, and I got some money out of the ATM. And I'm like, are you hungry? You know, can I help you as well? And so I buy him some snacks and some soda, and, and I, I, I just load him up, man. And as I'm giving this to him, he's trying to get away, which I thought was a little interesting because here I just basically gave him $150 in food for a couple of days. And, you know, I pray with him. I give him a Bible and a track, and I'm talking to him about the Lord. And uh, he goes on his way. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I'm 18 years old. I, I basically drained my bank account. I had a job making no money, and I'm like feeling led of the Lord to do this. And um, we get in, the, in my buddy's truck, and we're going down the road, and Mike looks at me, and he says, Hey, Brandon, don't you know that truck was stolen? I said, I said Mike, what are you talking about? He's like, the dash was all ripped up. It was hot-wired, and uh, you just basically filled up his tank and gave him $100 to help him get away. And, man, my heart sunk, and I was sick as a dog, man. But you know what happened? The Lord spoke to me, and uh, he encouraged me that I did it out of the goodness of my heart in trying to lead this guy to the Lord, and he's going to have to answer for it one day. So let me encourage you. Don't allow things like that to keep you from doing something from somebody for somebody just because they might do something wrong with it or evil with it. And, you know, yeah, I helped a fugitive escape and all that stuff, and I know the Lord forgives us. But anyways, um, you know, uh, listen, don't let that stop you from reaching out to the outcast. And don't allow somebody maybe taking advantage of you to keep you from doing what God has called us to do. Be wise, though, about it. All right, verses 10 through 18. We're going to see here that Jesus offers this woman living water. Jesus offers living water. Um, I love this here. I love this here. In verse 14, you can see that uh, Jesus says that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, whoever will ask for this water can receive this water. I'm glad today that this living water, this gift of eternal life, this gift of salvation is offered to all. It's not just offered to a few. It's not just offered to the elite of our society, those with money. It's not just offered to those that are down on their luck. This salvation, this free gift is offered to all. Revelation 22 and 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. This is offered to all. So if you are here this morning, if you are thirsty, if you are in need of salvation, if you are in need of a relationship with God, you can have that today. I love what it says there in verse 10. Jesus said, if you would just ask me, I would give you this living water. And so if you would ask today, the Bible says in Romans 10 and 13, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved today if you'll call on his name. Listen this morning. I love this this whole story because the woman, she's constantly trying to change uh, the subject, and Jesus is changing the subject. It's just a back-and-forth banter that's hilarious to read. But in verse 16, Jesus looks at this woman. She's wanting this water, and he says, All right, you want this water, but go call your husband. Go call your husband. And you know what? She kind of is taken off guard because 
she, she doesn't have a husband right now. Jesus says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. So this woman had had a life that was, you know, five failed relationships. You know, one of them might have passed away, but it's not likely that, that all five of her husbands passed away. And Jesus called her out and said, the man you're living with now is not your husband. That might seem harsh to some of us today in the society, in the culture, in the church world, where we want everything to just feel easy and smooth and nice. But Jesus actually approached her and addressed her sin. And you know what? Before we can be saved, we need to know that we are a sinner. We need to know that we have offended a holy God and that because of our sin, we are separated from God. And so when we're reaching out to an outcast or reaching out to somebody that needs to be saved and forgiven, we shouldn't shy away from talking about sin. We need to talk about sin. Sin is the reason why Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross for us to forgive us of our sin, to save us, to change us, to transform us. And he, he didn't shy away from that. We shouldn't shy away from it either. We've all sinned. I've sinned. You've sinned. We've all sinned against God. You know what? Jesus looks at her, and, but he doesn't do it in a, a way of condemnation. Whenever we go to somebody, we shouldn't condemn them because of their sin or their lifestyle. We should show them their sin, but then show them the love of God. And Jesus points at the well and says, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. See, here's the thing. She was so thirsty for God, but she didn't know it. And she didn't know how to get that, that thirst quenched. She was trying to quench her thirst with all those failed relationships. You know, you might be trying to quench that thirst with your spouse, with a boyfriend, with a girlfriend. You might be trying to quench the thirst for God that God put inside of you with entertainment, with your children, with your family, with your job, with whatever it might be. It might not even be anything that's sinful or bad, but if that is all you are seeking, then you are elevating that above God in your life. Because God is to be number one in our life. And so this morning, uh, here we see this woman. She was so thirsty. Her soul was desiring a relationship with God. The psalmist said in Psalm 42 and 1, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Only Jesus can satisfy this morning. And we need to, we need to come to him to get our thirst satisfied. You're talking about sin. If, if we're not convicted over our sin, if somebody we're talking to about the Lord is not convicted over their sin or they feel shame and um, the, the great weight of their sin, they can't be saved. They've got to be convicted. The psalmist said in Psalm 34 and 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And so we need to be broken over our sin. You don't come to God because your marriage is falling apart or because your bills need to be paid. You come to God because you are in desperate need of a Savior, and he's the only Savior. And so there in verses 10 through 18, we see that Jesus offers living water. In verses 19 through 24, we see that Jesus teaches about true worship. Jesus teaches about true worship. In verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and, uh, and when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. She was trying to deflect Jesus. See, she was feeling convicted over her sin. And she tried to change the subject. When we're witnessing the folks and they try to change the subject, let's stay on track with Jesus. Let's stay on track with what the Lord has done. She says, where should we worship? Should we worship on Mount Gerizim or should we worship in Jerusalem? See, here was another thing that the Jews and the Samaritans were divided over. The temple was in Jerusalem, but the Samaritans had their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And in 128 B.C., the Jews actually destroyed Shechem and they burned the Samaritan temple. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Right. So no wonder they're they're fighting with each other. But then the Samaritans, they turn around, and in A.D. 6 and 9, they go and desecrate the temple in Jerusalem by throwing bones in the temple during Passover. Listen, people get hung up on which denomination or which group or which style. Or Listen, right here is what we need. Amen? It's the Word of God. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a name over a door. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we need to keep our eyes on him and not on man. Uh, this morning, looking here in verse 21 and verse 23 uh, through 23, the Bible says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, uh, the hour is coming. And then look in verse 23, rather. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Jesus looks at her and says, woman, you don't even understand what you're worshiping as a Samaritan. Seems kind of crass, doesn't it? But Jesus knew what he was talking about because the Samaritans only held to the first five books of the Old Testament. They did not hold to the, the prophecies in, the, in, the, in Isaiah or Jeremiah. They didn't read the Psalms, the Proverbs, anything else. And, you know, there's a good reason for that. Because all the other, like First Kings, Chronicles, and everything else talks about Jerusalem. And the temple that was built in Jerusalem and how that they were only to worship there at that temple. So they didn't hold to that. They just held to the first five books. You know, listen, so many people want to take part of the Bible and leave the rest out. Just give me the stuff that feels good, that makes me feel good. I don't want the parts that say obey and follow and commit and give and do. I just want the things that God does for me, not my part of the commitment. And, you know, whenever they remarried, uh, uh, these, these people, when they were exiled, the Samaritans here, I told you that they, that they were uh, driven out uh, because of the Babylonian uh, captivity. Then the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon into the cities of Samaria, and they were, it was repopulated. And so the Jews intermarried with Gentiles, and that was another reason why the Jews had no dealings with them. And so when they intermarried, and that was, God said not to do that, all right? And the reason was, was because they were going to uh, take on pagan practices. And that's exactly what happened. The Samaritans took on pagan practices, and they tried to mix paganism, uh, idolatry, with Judaism. And because of that, they, they formed their own religion. Now, I want you to listen here in 2 Kings chapter 17. Uh, what happened after they came back from Babylon 
And when pe- people were sent there to Samaria, in verse 32 there of 2 Kings says, they also feared the Lord. This is, this is crazy when you read this and listen to it, all right? It's such an oxymoron. They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord, and they do not follow the statutes or the rules of the law, the commandments of the Lord that the Lord God commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. Now check out verse 41. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise and their children's children as their fathers did, so they do to this day. You see that how it was passed from generation to generation? The parents mixed paganism with Judaism and they did not actually follow the Lord. They were trying to hold God in one hand And hold idols in the other hand. And Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one master. This morning, you cannot mix Christianity with any other religion and expect God to honor that. You cannot read your Bible and do your morning devotion uh, uh, reading the scripture about Jesus being the only way while you've got a Buddha sitting in your house. This isn't popular preaching, but it's true. You can't can't have your own little idols set up and mix Christianity with any other religion. You're not going to mix it with Buddhism, Shintoism. You're not going to mix it uh, with, with anything else. There is only one way to heaven, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he looks at this woman and he says, if you want to follow me, If you want to be forgiven, then you have to worship me the way I say you are to worship me. And he says, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's how the Father is seeking people to worship him, in spirit and in truth. We've got to to worship with our whole being, right? We're emotional people. You say, well, I don't know about that. Next Sunday, if you're watching the Super Bowl with uh, Pastor Kenny, you'll find out. Uh, about emotion, right? And so listen, we're emotional people, uh, but you're either going to worship God uh, with, with cold emotion or you're going to worship God with your whole heart, right? But we have to do it according to the word of God. You can't mix it this and that. It has to be according to the scripture, and he is the truth, the only way. Verses 25 through 42, we see that Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the savior of the world. Amen. Praise the Lord. Listen, this woman talks to Jesus and says, I perceive, uh, you know, Messiah, he's going to be coming. The Messiah is going to be coming. And Jesus looks at her and he says, I am the Messiah. See, she knew about the Messiah because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 18 and 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And this was talking about raising up a prophet like Moses. And so she held Moses in high esteem because she was a Samaritan and knew about the Messiah that would come like Moses. But hey, listen, a greater than Moses, a greater than Jacob, a greater than Solomon, a greater than the temple is here. The Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, 
all of the prophecies that were prophesied from Genesis all the way through Malachi came true in only one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin, lived without sin, suffered and died on the cross of Calvary, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead so that he could forgive us and give us this fountain of living water that would be inside of us, welling up into everlasting life. In this passage, we see Jesus' humanity. He was weary as he was on his journey. He was thirsty. He was tired. But we see his deity in that he was all-knowing and knew everything about this woman. And we see his deity in the fact that he is the Savior of the world. Isn't it amazing that Jesus revealed this to a Samaritan woman first other than anybody else? I'm glad he's the Savior of the world. Romans 10 and 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. After she hears this, she immediately leaves and runs to tell everybody in Samaria what, that she has found the Christ. And you know what's amazing? She was ashamed and embarrassed in front of her own people. But once she met Jesus, she was no longer ashamed or embarrassed. She went out in the power of God. And we shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed of this message that God has given us. We should go out into the highways and the hedges and tell everyone about the goodness of God. In verse 35, Jesus takes time to tell his disciples about the harvest. And he tells them to look on the fields for the harvest is white. The field is white and ready for harvest. As the Samaritans were coming out of Samaria and this flood of people were running to hear Jesus, he looks at his disciples and says, look at these people. The harvest is ready. I'm sending you into the harvest. You know what? If you just open your eyes whenever you're outside of this, this uh, place of worship this morning and whenever you go this afternoon to grab a bite to eat or you drive home, you're going to see people that need Jesus. There's not a person that you'll ever see that Jesus didn't die for. There's not a person you'll ever see that doesn't need Jesus. And Jesus does an amazing thing. Nobody was any busier than Jesus, but he takes time, two days, to spend with the Samaritans. They come out and they hear him, and the woman testifies to them. He preaches the gospel to them. And many of the Samaritans believe because of his own word. And they said in verse 41 that he, they believed this because of his own word and that he was the savior of the world. We want a quick fix. We want something to happen right now. We want an explosion to happen in our churches. We want an explosion to happen in our personal time of witnessing. But you know what? Take your time. Because you would much rather take your time and see a genuine conversion than to get somebody to pray a quick prayer and never actually be convicted of their sins and never actually be born again. We need to take time with people to show them the way. You know, we should never be ashamed of this message we should never uh, be ashamed of the gospel, and we shouldn't try to change the gospel to make it more palatable for people so that they'll accept it. Oh, just believe and your life will be great. No, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must first deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Be willing to die for me, he says. You say, oh, preacher, that's not popular today. It wasn't in Jesus' day either, but that's the gospel. And if we change that, we're, we're, we're going away from Jesus and not to him. 
We shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that he's the only way, that it's because of his death, burial, and resurrection, and that people need to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then after that, we are called to follow him faithfully in our lives. Thank God for his grace along the way and his mercy and his forgiveness. But I want to encourage you this morning, church, this week, be looking for those opportunities that God's going to put in your path. I'm praying that God will put opportunities in your path and that you'll on purpose speak to somebody about the goodness of God. You'll speak to somebody about your personal testimony of what God has done for you. That you'll talk to somebody about how they can know Jesus and they can follow Jesus. Let's be intentional about reaching the outcasts. Listen, 40% of our city, the children are raised by their grandparents. A few years ago, Hickory was the fifth city in the nation for opioid abuse. Families are just falling apart right around us. People that are outcasts and pushed aside by society, they need Jesus. They need us to love on them and show them the hope that Jesus brings. I want to challenge you, and I also want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit will empower you. Because Jesus said, inside of you is a river, is a fountain of living water. And in John 7, I'm just going to jump ahead a second. I'm going to leave a lot of meat on the bone. But Jesus said, if you believe on me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And that was the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, as we come in the name of Jesus, we're so thankful for your blessings. We're so thankful for your kindness and your grace. Lord, we thank you that you reach out to the outcast, that you came for the outcast, Lord. You came for us. And, Lord, I'm so thankful that not only did you come for us, but you came to be the Savior of the world. And, Lord, I pray today, God, that you would please bless the hearer. And, God, may they heed the call. May they answer the call today. Lord, empower us this week to go into in the Holy Spirit to share your truth to share your gospel. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us to stay true to you and not mix anything with the truth of the scripture. Lord, your word is truth. Father, if there's somebody here today that does not know you as Savior, I pray today would be the day that they would call on you in faith, believe the gospel, repent of their sins, trust you and follow you, I pray in Jesus' name.